we got an awesome night planned for you guys. First of all, I'd just like to thank everybody for coming out. Thank all the visitors. We appreciate you guys here. You're our honored guest, and uh, we're going to have uh, some preaching, some teaching. If that's okay with you guys, we're going to preach out of the Word of God, the Bible. And then we're going to have some food in the back and have a good time tonight. We've got lots of wings, lots of sloppy joes, lots of desserts and beverages. And uh, then who knows what's going to happen the rest of the night. We're going to have a good time and uh, fellowship and hang out. And how many know God likes to party? And he likes his people to party. And we're going we're gonna to see that in the scriptures when we read here in a second. But ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Okay. John 1. John 1, and uh, we're going to read here. It says in John 1, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, it said, In the Word, which is Jesus, became flesh. He became a man, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Notice this, full of grace and full of truth. In verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he who I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he, he was before me. Verse 16, and of his fullness, and of his fullness, we have all received. Can I get an amen right now? And from his fullness, we have all received. How many can raise their hand and say, and from his fullness, we have all received? Guess what? We've received grace upon grace. In verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now let's look over at Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Just wanted to let everybody know, next week uh, we will not have a technically uh, a quarry service, but we will still be having a service in this sanctuary because next week is our Word and Spirit Conference, and that's going to be going Tuesday through Friday. So uh, you guys are... Uh, more than welcome to show up next Thursday night because we'll be having a service in here and my father will probably be preaching at the Word and Spirit Conference. So next Thursday is going to be Word and Spirit Conference. But then the week after that, we're going to start a new series. Everybody say new series. And I'm going to be talking about sex. Yes, I just said that. Sex, dating. I'm going to be talking about purity. I'm going to be talking about all the good stuff. And I'm going to be talking about relationships and uh I'm not going to hold back. There's going to be no filter on this mouth as we, uh, as we go into the subject about sex and dating and purity because you need to know what God's Word says and not people's opinion. And so uh, we're going to get some wisdom from God's Word, and we're going we're gonna to know what God says about it because He has a lot to say about purity. Amen. So John 15, not John 15, Luke 15. Luke 15, is. let's get a start in verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people of that day, complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So pretty much they were upset because Jesus eats with shady people. Jesus eats with uh, not the upper class society. Jesus eats with people who got issues. Jesus eats with people who smoke weed. Jesus eats with people who go to clubs. Jesus eats with people who got issues. And the religious people don't like that. And so, verse 3, he spoke to them in a parable saying, Now Jesus is going to speak three stories here, and we're going to get into them some tonight. In a parable, another uh, word for a parable is just he's going to tell a story. 
And so he says in verse 4, What man of you has a hundred sheep, and if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go to find it? And he goes after the one until it's the lost one is found. In verse 5, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice, for I have found my sheep which is lost. And verse 7, For I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven. There could be a party in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who think they're legit. That's, that's my translation. In verse 8, it says, Or what woman having ten coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends and rejoices together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which is lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is more joy in heaven and in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. Now, that's two times in a row that, that God says, I like to party. And especially when people who are lost become found, heaven goes wild and has a party. Contrary to popular belief, heaven is not a boring place where you sit with harps and uh, you're a fat little angel and somebody feeds you jelly beans and grapes. No, heaven is an awesome place where there's rejoicing, there's laughter. It's going to be the most amazing place you've ever been, and it's going to be a constant party for all eternity. And ain't nobody knows how to throw a party like God himself. That's all free right there. So verse 11, now this is the main story we're going to talk about. In verse 11, he said, A certain man had two sons. Everybody say, two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, uh, give me the portion of the goods that, f- that falls to me. So he divided them, to, uh, divided them his livelihood. In verse 13, And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, and he journeyed to a far country. With there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And verse 14, and when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Everybody still here? And verse 15, and then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one would give him anything. Verse 17, now this is a key verse tonight. It says, but when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father's house and say, Father, I have sinned against you and sinned against heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And verse 20, and he arose and went to his father's house. But when he he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Everybody still here? You okay that we're reading the Bible here? Now, verse 22 says, But the father, he pretty much ignored the son's speech, and he said, Watch this. He said, Bring out the best robe and put it on. Don't ask him if he wants it. Just go ahead and put it on. And notice this. Grab the ring and put it on his hand. And put some sandals on his feet. In verse 23, and bring out the fatted calf here and kill it. Bring out the barbecue ribs because we're going to have a barbecue party because my son has come home. I told you Jesus knows how to throw parties. If you're not seeing the theme here is partying, all three of these passages. 
verse 24, it says, For this my son, who was dead, is alive again. And he was lost, and now he is found. And they begin to be merry. Amen? If you're taking notes tonight, the title of my message is Grace When You're Still a Far Way Off. Grace When You're Still a Far Way Off. This message has been in my heart and in my spirit for a long time, and you can never preach too much on grace. There's other subjects in the Bible that maybe you might only preach certain, certain messages on, and there's a timing and a place for it. But grace is an inexhaustible message because really if there was one word to sum up the gospel, it would be the word grace. And how many know we've been called to preach the gospel? Not to, cre- to preach the law. We're not called to preach religion. We're called to preach the gospel. The reason people don't want to come to church anymore is because churches preach religion and they don't preach the gospel. And religious, religious teaching and religious people will always lead you to a place of despair. Every time. And so that's why nobody wants to go to church. Because they're hearing religion and they're not hearing the gospel. But if you hear the gospel and you hear the, hear the message of the gospel, which is grace, it is almost irresistible to resist when you really hear the real message of the gospel and somebody really tells you about the real Jesus. Not the religious Jesus, not the, the Jesus that certain people tell you about, but the real Jesus of the Bible. Because the grace of God, when you really see the grace of God, when you really see the goodness of God, when you see what Jesus has done for you, when you see Jesus taking your sins, taking your sickness, taking your poverty, taking your heartache and pain, taking everything that you deserve, he took for you so that you could have everything he deserves. It's not going to cause you to resist him. It's going to cause you to embrace what he's done for you. And so we're talking about grace when you're still a far way off. You need to realize this, grace is, is a word that people have misunderstood for years, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit as we get started here. You need to realize this, grace is more a person than a principle. If you're taking notes, write that down. Grace is more a person than a principle. You know, the reason a lot of churches don't preach on grace is because they've taught grace as a principle, and people have abused the grace message people have used the grace message as it's a get out of free pa- get out of jail free pass and it means that God just loves me no matter what and he wants me uh, to just sin and do whatever he wants and he's going to look the other way no grace is much more than just a pardon for sin grace is more than just a pardon grace is power to live this new life in Christ and grace is more than a principle it's a person and it's a it's a lot easier to abuse a principle than it is a person but the grace of God is a person and is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, that's like me saying, because my wife, this is my wife sitting here, it's her birthday today. Everybody say happy birthday. It's her birthday today. Come on, go ahead and clap. You can clap. It's all right. Go ahead and clap. But that's like saying, because my wife is so good to me, because she loves me so much, because she treats me so well, I'm going to go out because she loves me so much and treats me so well, and she would be understanding, I'm going to go out several nights during the year and go sleep around with other women. That doesn't make sense to the natural person. But that's the way a lot of people treat grace. Because God loves me so much, and he's so understanding, it's just like a get-out-of-jail-free pass. And since he really doesn't care. No, when you see the grace of God, you're not going to want to sin more. You're going to want to sin less. That's how you know you've really heard the message on grace. 
Because if you hear somebody teach on grace and it makes you want to go do whatever the heck you want to do and it makes you want to go out and sin more, you haven't heard grace, you've heard grease. And the message of grace is going to make you live at a standard way higher than others around you can even imagine. Why? Because it's the person of Jesus coming on the inside of you, helping you to live this life that you were meant to live from the foundations of the world. It's a life that you can't live without him. It's a life he's always called you to live. You know, I love this Jack Hayford, which is a, he's a seasoned saint. And uh, Dr. Jack Hayford, I, some of you know who he is, some of you don't. He's the one, he, he wrote tons of books, but he, he wrote the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. And uh, he has his own university, and he has like three or four doctorates after his name. But he gave one of the best definitions of grace, which it, it says... Grace is God coming to man in his time of need in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. I'm going to read that one more time for you. Grace is God coming to man in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, another thing that people call grace, which it's a right definition, grace is God's undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. That's what grace is. And how much more, if you think about it, if it's God's undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor, it's God's ultimate gift to you. Grace is not a reward for the good things you've done in this life. Hello, somebody. Grace is not a reward or something you can earn. If you can earn it, it's not grace. It's God's unearned, unmerited favor. And the ultimate symbol of that favor is Jesus Christ himself. The ultimate gift, it's God's unearned, unmerited gift. And you know what your ultimate, unearned, unmerited gift is? Jesus Christ. You know, in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave a gift to you. More than money, more than good looks, more important than anything else, the greatest unearned, you didn't earn Jesus, You can't merit Jesus. But the greatest gift that you've ever been given was Jesus Christ coming to this earth to save us. That's the greatest gift ever given, and the Father gave that to us. Let's look over at John 1. John 1, you guys still here? We just getting warmed up. John 1. John 1. You know, you need to realize this. A lot of our society and a lot of our planet doesn't understand grace whatsoever. A lot of church people don't even understand grace. Why? Because they, they think logically, and grace is really uh, is beyond your natural logic because logic says if I do good, I get good. And if I do bad, I get bad. That's just what, what natural humans think. Good people go to heaven, and bad people go to hell. That's the way it is. If I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. But grace is completely different than that. Because grace says, I did bad, I am bad, and I get good. Are you here tonight? I thought you, I thought you guys would have shouted on that. Grace is completely different than human logic. What you're preaching is karma, which is not in the Bible. 
is if I, if I do good enough, I'm going to get good. If I do bad, I'm going to receive bad. No, grace says I did bad, I am bad, and I get good. That's grace. That's why people don't understand it. That's why people don't, can't really comprehend it because all they know is I got to earn it, I got to achieve it, so that's the only way I'm going to make it in this life. But the gospel is completely different than that. It's unearned, unmerited favor. All you can do with grace is either receive it or deny it. That's the only thing you can do. And it's sad to say a lot of even church people don't even receive the grace of God to its fullness. Why? Because they're living under a mentality that they've got to earn everything, that they've got to achieve everything. You are not good enough to achieve what God has for you. That's why Jesus came and achieved everything for you. And when you receive his finished work, you get everything he deserved. I said this earlier, the reason God can give us everything Jesus deserves is because Jesus took everything we deserved. So this is not God just saying flippantly, yeah, you know, I'm just going to bless them. I just, I'm going to forget about their sin. No, somebody was punished for your sin. Somebody took what you deserved. So God was just in making you righteous because he let his son be punished and take your sin, take the wrath of God on himself, take everything that I deserved because I did bad. Because Jesus only did good, but he received bad. He received the wrath of God. He received the judgment of God in my place. But I did nothing but bad, nothing but unrighteousness, nothing but sin, but I get what Jesus deserves. That's how good grace is. When you really understand grace, you can't turn your back on it and say, you know what, God, no thanks. If you really understand grace. You know, in John 1 and verse 14, it said, The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And notice, Jesus, He was full of grace and full of truth. Verse 16, And of His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And really what that means, His fullness, is that means the essence of who Jesus is, is grace. Who he is, is grace. In verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, up until the time Jesus came, we saw, yeah, you saw under the Old Testament, you saw types and shadows of the grace of God, but grace in all its fullness finally came to the planet in the person of Jesus Christ. Now let's look over at Luke 15. Luke 15. Now we roll on now. Luke 15. You guys get anything so far? We're just getting started good. Luke 15. You know, as we read Luke 15 here, we're going to read these stories, but you know it said that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. You need to understand something. If you want to receive grace... You're going to have to be truthful about where you're really at. Because people that won't admit where they're really at and what they're really struggling with and really be truthful with God will never receive His grace. If you're going to keep acting like you've got no issues and you've got no troubles and you've got no sin in your life and you're not in need of a Savior, there is no grace to come in and help you. But when you be, you're truthful and honest with where you're at with God, that's when the grace of God comes into your life. You know, we're going to read here in Luke 15... 
and these Pharisees and scribes are pretty much religious people were saying God in the flesh which was Jesus they were saying why do you hang out with people that have issues why do you hang out with sinners why do you hang out with people that are not right why do you hang out with people that everybody looks down on in society why do you hang out with people that are unlovable and you know what Jesus told them these three stories you know the reason why Jesus could give grace to sinners is because they're truthful enough to admit they got issues Jesus can't help religious people who say I got nothing wrong with me I'm self-righteous I'm in not need of I'm in I'm in no need of a savior because I'm my own savior Jesus can't help religious people like that and there's a lot of people in church that are self-righteous and they think that they are their own savior guess what there is no grace coming to you that's why Jesus likes to hang out with sinners because they're honest enough to say I got issues I need help and you're my savior and you've got to realize, Jesus not only came to save sinners, he came to save the self-righteous. And the thing is, that's a lot of our issues. A lot of us that have grown up in church, we don't consider ourselves sinners like some other people that have been out in the world. But we're in just as much need of saving as those people out in the world. Because we have the sin of self-righteousness. Jesus came to save them both. And by telling these stories, he was telling these religious people of that day, the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees, guess what? You were all in the same boat. And you're all just as much as in need of saving as these sinners that you're looking down upon. But the thing is, the reason why I can help these people is because they admit that they need help. They admit to me that they need a Savior. And you won't come to me because you think you're your own Savior. Quiet in this Methodist church tonight. But let's look at Luke 15 here. You know, the first two stories, Jesus talks about a shepherd and a sheep. He talks about a lost sheep that the shepherd goes after. And that's symbolic of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus, he says, I am the great shepherd. And we know in the second story, it talks about a woman who lost a coin. And she lit a lamp to find it. And we know the second story is symbolic of the church, which is the woman, which is the bride of Christ. And the, the light that she, she lit to find the coin was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Meaning once the church and the Holy Spirit are together, they will find lost people. Not just the church by itself, but the church empowered by the Holy Spirit is going to find lost people. And we see the third story is about the Father. So we got the Son, the Spirit, and the Father all represented in all three of these stories. And I love it. Jesus came on the scene because Jesus is God. And Jesus came on the scene because a lot of these people had their own ideas of who God was, what he was like, what he required. And Jesus came on the scene and flipped everything they thought about God on its head. Jesus bought a completely different way and said, you really don't know what God is really like. Let me tell you. And that's why he would always tell stories like this. And he told these three stories to show these people the way that God thinks about lost people, the way that God thinks about sinners, the way that God thinks about people that are unlovely and broken and hurting. And he doesn't look down on them. He wants to help them and find them. So we're going to... Uh, study and think about this last 
story here about the parable of the lost son. It's really one of the most famous parables ever preached, the prodigal son. And that's like giving a T-bone steak to a preacher when you say, I would like you to preach on the prodigal son. Because there's so much in this story. And we're not going to be able to get everything out tonight, but you need to listen to this. Because whether you know it or not, every one of you in here in one time or another in your life has been this son in this story. You know, let's start in verse 12. In verse, right before that, it says, A man had two sons. So a daddy had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Give me my portions of goods, or give me the money that, that you owe me when you pass on. So he divided to them his livelihood. you got to realize this. In that culture when you gave your inheritance to a son it was a big deal it wasn't like you just saying dad you know can you spot me like five dollars cash I'm going to eat a Chick-fil-a it was a big deal and you know they wouldn't give the money to the son until the father passed away so you got to realize how rude this was of this younger son to say to his father all right, give me all the money that's supposed to be mine when you pass away. Go ahead and give me that right now because I want to use it. I want to go live crazy. I want to do my own thing because I'm trying to party. And so that was pretty much saying to his father, you're dead to me, Dad. That was one of the biggest insults he could have done. But you're going to see as the story goes on, the way the father still treats his son after he's been insulted so bad by his son. You know, it says here in verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all, to get, gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal means wasteful. He did his own thing and he, he lived a life that was a, full of wasteful living. You know, it's a sad thing. I see this in the culture so much. And I want to say to each and every one of you, a lot of young people have this in their mindset, and it's a lie from the devil, is this younger son thought a life without his father would be better than a life with his father. That's a lie from the devil. It's a lot of people's ideas. You know, if, if I accept God, and if, if I, you know, I start coming to church, I start getting in my Bible, I really give God all I have, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have any fun anymore, I'm going to be bored, it's not going to be a fulfilling life, I'm going to be missing out on everything, that is completely not true. It's completely not true. I'm sorry that other Christians have given you a bad example of somebody who follows Jesus is like. But living for God all out is the only fulfilling life on this planet. Is the only lasting life on this planet. Is the only life that brings you joy and peace and hope for your future. And so when you come to God, you don't decrease in fun level. God's not saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will make you more weary and more bored. No, when you come to God, he's going to give you the most amazing life. Why? Because he knows the plan he has for you. And it's a good plan. And it's a plan to give you a good future and a good hope. And that's a lot of people, they think a life without God is better than a life with God. 
It's a lie. I tell you that. It's a lie. Don't buy into that junk. It is a lie. You know, it says here that he went away and did his own thing. You've got to realize this in the Word of God. It says we all, not just some of us, we all like sheep have all gone our own way. Everyone in here, I don't care if you've been at church your whole life. You know, I've literally been going to church 24 years in nine months of my life. 24 years, nine months. Because my mother would sit on the front row with me inside of her. I have been at church 24 years and nine months. I've hardly missed it all. But you know what? I've still gone my own way and done my own thing. Going to church does not make you saved. <laughs> Just because you show up doesn't mean you're not just as lost as the people out there shooting heroin into their veins. Hello, somebody. And that's a religious mindset that if I just look holy and I come to church enough and I read my Bible and act like I got it together, I really got it together. No, you don't. You're just as jacked up as the person that's got issues and just man enough to say, I got issues. I'm not going to come to church right now. I'm kind of doing my own thing. You are in the same boat. I, I didn't mean to get that strong with you guys for a second. But you know what? Until you realize that, you really won't be thankful for what you got. Because there's a lot of Christian kids that are not thankful. Why? Because they think that they're pretty good and Jesus didn't have to do a lot of saving, didn't have to do a lot of cleaning up because I was already pretty good. I was already pretty, you know, clean and holy coming to church. Jesus only had to just do a little bit. But you know, somebody like a brother Joe who's been, been out uh, addicted to drugs and living a crazy particle life, you no, know, he really got forgiven. I just got a little forgiven. No, you were just as forgiven as he has been forgiven. And that's why a lot of church kids are less excited, are less enthusiastic about church than somebody who came up off the streets and got saved from something. Because they're not thankful. You know, you need to realize you need to be thankful for the stuff you didn't have to get delivered out of. You didn't have to waste 10 years of your life on drugs. You didn't have to waste 15 years of your life doing crazy stuff. God just delivered you out of all that junk. So you should be more thankful than the prostitutes and the homosexuals and the drug addicts coming home. Because God saved you out of that junk that you wouldn't have to spend 10 years of your life getting delivered and prayed for but you because you got addictions out your ears. I'm too real. I'm sorry. Notice he wasted his possessions, or he wasted his life. You know, if you live any other life apart from God, you're wasting your life. You're wasting. You know, we only get one shot at this. Do you realize this? I'm not trying to be too sober on you tonight, but you only get one shot at this life. You don't get to do it over again. You're not coming back as an ant, a zebra, or a mosquito. You only get one shot at this, and so you need to make it count the first time. And living your life apart from God is a wasted life. I don't want to get to heaven and say, look, this is what your life could have been, and this is what your life was. But you chose to waste it doing nothing with your life. Notice he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent it all, there always comes a time when it runs out. There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. 
Notice that. There was a severe famine, and all his money ran out. All the friends that you think you have, when you got money and when you're looking good and when everything's going right, then they're, they're your friends. But when your money runs out, and when you're not, you're not joking around with them about the same stuff anymore, and when you hit a hard place, they're gone. This happens to everybody. And you know, the thing about sin is, sin is such a trick that it makes you think that it's going to be everything you ever wanted it to be. Sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. Sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. Every time. It will always make, make you think that, man, this is the life. I'm living it. I'm living the American dream. Nobody can stop me. But guess what? It might ha- not happen tomorrow. It might not happen next week. It might not happen a couple years down the road. But one day, it's going to run out. And you're going to be in the same place as the prodigal son was. And it says, he was in famine and he was in want. Everybody is going to hit that place someday. You know, sin, it says... In the word of God, since fun for a season. That's the trick of it. It's fun when you're first starting to get in it, but then when you're trying to get unaddicted to that stuff you've been smoking, it's not as fun. When you're trying to have a relationship with another person of the opposite sex and you've been sleeping around getting other sexually transmitted disease, it's not as fun now. You know, when you're trying to raise your children... And you got all kinds of nasty thoughts going through your mind, and you got all kinds of people from the past coming back up. It's not as fun now, is it? But sin doesn't tell you that. Sin, sin will never tell you that. Sin just looks nice and shiny and beautiful and enticing, but it doesn't. It doesn't show you years down the road where you're going to be. Sin will always take you a place you don't want to end up in. You know, the story of Samson is one of the most amazing stories about temptation and sin. And you know what? When he was first messing around with Delilah, it was fun. It was awesome. Man, him and Delilah were having a good time. But you know what? Sin doesn't show Samson at the end of his life. Sin just showed Samson a pretty girl. I'm muscular. I can do what I want. I'm powerful in my own strength. I can get away with this. And one day, when I want to get free from this, it can happen. But it didn't happen like that. Why? Because sin is your master. And sin didn't show Samson years down the road that he would have his eyes poked out and he would be in chains grinding stone. Sin doesn't show you stuff like that. It's not on its previews. It's like, hey, come to me. You're going to have fun for a few years, but then you're going to end up like this. It never shows you that. And you got to realize how low a state that he was in. Because it says here, he was so desperate. He was looking for a job, so he went and he found this guy who fed swine. So he was like, I'll go feed them for you. I'll go feed these pigs for you. I'll do it. And notice it said, he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating, but he couldn't even do that. you got to realize, to the Jewish person which there was Jewish people he was talking to here, pigs were unclean. So you got to realize how low he got brought at this state because pigs were unclean. So for him to even be around a pig, 
was not good. But he lowered himself to the level that he was just trying to eat the same food that pigs would eat. That's how low that sin and wasteful living brought him. But you know, when when he first left his daddy's house with all the money, and he was young and he was fresh looking, he didn't see that picture. He didn't see himself in the pig pen trying to eat the pig food. But you know, in verse 17, this is the key verse. You guys still here tonight? I'm not boring you, am I? Verse 17, notice this. He was sitting in the pig pen after he'd wasted everything. And notice, he came to himself. I tell you what, if, if you keep living that way, it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but someday you will end up in the pig pen. And you'll be in the same state he was. You know, you could totally avoid that if you wanted to. His father never wanted him to end up in that state. But it was his own choices that brought him to that state. But I tell you what, I promise you, if, if you stay on that path, that's where you'll end up eventually. You notice it said he came to himself. When you're, when you're in sin like that, you're not in your right mind. Notice he wasn't even in his right mind. He wasn't even thinking straight anymore. But there will come a time in your life when you will come to yourself. Everybody's got to come to themselves someday. You know, he came to himself and notice what he said. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Verse 18, I will rise and go to my father's house. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So, when he came to himself, he was reminded of how good his father was. I'm telling you tonight, God is good. He's always good. He's never been bad. He never takes weekends off to be the devil and to create havoc. He's always good. He's always been good. And God is love, and he's always been love. You need to realize this. When you finally come to yourself, when you finally get tired of living for yourself and having no hope and having no peace and having no fulfillment in your life and you keep on drinking and you keep on sleeping around and you keep on doing dumb stuff and none of it's filling you up anymore, you need to come to yourself one day and realize how good God is. And notice he said to myself, I'm hungry here, I'm starving, and even my daddy's servants eat better than that. He used to be a son, but he said, even my daddy's servants get treated better than that. That's how good his dad was. You need to realize how good your daddy in heaven is. Everyone in here, you need to realize your father in heaven is a lot more amazing than any of you have ever imagined. I know this is not, this is not a word. I don't know, it was, it's either not a word, it's not good English, but he is gooder than you think. He is better than you've ever imagined. You know, in Romans, it says, it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Notice that, it's the goodness of God that brings you to repentance. Contrary to all our, our hellfire and brimstone preachers that, that try to scare the hell out of everybody so they'll repent. No, it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. 
when you see how good he is and makes you want to repent and come back to him. It's not the wrath of God that brings you to repentance. It's not the fear of God that brings you to repentance. It's the goodness of God. And notice he was like, I've had it. My, my daddy's servants eat better than this. I'm going to go home. He finally wisened up. And notice in verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off. You guys need to underline that. When he was still a great way off. When he was still a great way off. You know, the closest you can get in your own strength and in your own power back to God is a great way off. You know, religion says, if, if I do enough good things, if I feed enough homeless people, if I walk enough old ladies across the street, if I clean my life up, if I've, if I've become acceptable enough to God, then I, can, then I can make my way back to God and then he'll accept me. That's what religion says. But the gospel says the closest you can get back to God in your own strength, in your own goodness, is a great way off. You know, religion says I can get back to God, but the gospel, which is grace, says God came after you. Religion tries to run after God and catch up with them. But the gospel is that God ran after you and caught you. And notice when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion on him. He didn't didn't have anger. He didn't have wrath. He didn't say, man, my dumb son, I'm going to knock the snot out of him because he's lived crazy and he's lost all my money. He's treated me terribly. He's going to get it when he gets here. You know what? That's what a lot of people think that God thinks about you. And you say, you know, I don't want to come back to church. I don't want to come back to God because this is the way God's going to... That's not the way that God is going to treat you. That's a religious idea that somebody put in your head. But God is not like that. Jesus came to show us what God is like. And he said, when God sees you making an effort to come back to him, he's not going to shun you. He's not going to beat you up. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to come running at you with compassion, with love in his heart. Why? Because you are his child and you're coming back to him. Grace is that God came running after us. You know, when people say, I found God, no, God found you. God was never lost in the first place. You were the one that was lost and God found you. You know, it says he, he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. I love that. The father ran to his son. You know, just by the fact that the father saw his son coming from a great way off, that means the father must have been waiting. The father must have been looking. And you know what? There's a great father in heaven tonight, and he's been looking. He's always on the lookout. It says the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on people who love him on their behalf. And God has been looking, and he's the forever looker in heaven. And he's looking to see when his children are going to come back to him. So he can run and he can greet you. And he can embrace you and he can kiss you. You know, when he ran, it said he fell on his neck and he kissed him. 
you got to realize this. Still today, males in the Middle East do not run. Men, fathers in the Middle East do not run. They still don't. They're very dignified men, and they think that running is undignified. You got to imagine this. You got to think about somebody in the Middle East. They would have a robe on, maybe a little a, a chic hat that those people in like Arabia wear. He had sandals on, and men like that they don't run. You ever notice when you, you we're watching something on TV about the Middle East? You don't see people jogging around like that with their full garb, with a long white robe and sandals on. Why they're always walking like this? Why? Because they're very dignified. And you know what? It was much more even back in the day than it is today. You know, when he, when he said the father ran to his son, everybody in the crowd was probably freaking out because they said, I've never even seen my dad run. But he was trying to show them the way that God thinks about us. He doesn't care if he looks undignified. He doesn't care if it's not proper to come and kiss and hug on a sinner. He loves sinners. He loves prostitutes. He loves homosexuals. He loves drug addicts. He loves everybody on this planet just as much as he loves you. And his attitude towards sinners is not to run from them. He runs to them. And he's a, he's a good father. And when he, when he said the father ran to him, everybody in the crowd probably was like, what in the world? What kind of father is this? But Jesus was trying to show him what God was really like. And they were probably thinking, yeah, I know why the father's running, because when the father gets there, he's going he's to just beat the snot out of his son. He's going to get him. He's going to beat him up. He's going to whoop his butt all the way back up to the house. He's going to throw him in his room and say, you are on restriction for the next couple years. But that's not what his father did whatsoever. I'm almost done tonight. You guys get anything so far? Notice this in verse 21. I love this. The son, he, he tried to make an excuse, and he tried to make a little speech for his father to hear to explain why he'd been acting the way he was acting. And notice he says this, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That line right there, we could talk on for days. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, when, when the prodigal son came back and was saying this, his father wasn't even paying attention. His father didn't care about his dumb little speech. You know, there's a lot of us in here and a lot of friends that I've had that, that have the same attitude when they're coming back to God. I'm going to be worthy. I'm going to make it up to you, God. If you accept me right now, I'm going to make you proud. I'm going to clean my life up for you. And I don't know how many friends I've had to say, I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to get right with God when I clean myself up, when I get right again. The whole point is you can't get right and cleaned up by yourself. So you'll never come back to God. That's not the point. God wants you just the way you are. He's the one who does the cleaning. He's the one who does the changing, not you. All he says, I want you to come to me with all your issues, all your addictions, all your bondages, and I'm going to change it. 
Notice this. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy. I don't deserve it. That's what grace is. It's undeserved, unmerited favor with God. You know, his sonship was not based on what he did. Him being a son of his father had nothing to do with his worth, but it had everything to do with his birth. He was only a son in that family because he was born in that family. You know, that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again because the way to get into the family of God is not you got to work your way into it. It's not I got to get worthy enough to get into it. It's you got to be born into it. Notice he said, but the father said to his servants, he didn't even listen to what his son said. He said, I could care less about your little speech, about you're not worthy. Get that junk out of you. Because you're not my son by worth, you're my son by birth, and I love you. And notice his response, he said, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us be merry and eat. For this, my son, who was dead, is alive. And he was lost and he is found. And they begin to be merry. You know, it goes down. We're not going to read all these, the rest of the story. But the older brother had an attitude problem about his younger brother coming back to God. And we got to be careful, especially those who've grown up in church, that we're not the older brother. I tell you, I've been the older brother before. Notice the older brother, he never left the house, but he was just as lost as the son who left the house. And a lot of us who never left the house, we're just in bad shape as people who left the house. We just don't admit it. And notice when he said, man, why did you do this for my younger brother? He, he's lived crazy. He's been a prodigal. He's done all this and all that. And the father said, you could have had a rib roast every night of your life if you wanted it. But you didn't get it. You didn't receive the grace that I had for you. You thought you had to earn, you, had, you thought you had to do everything right to receive my goodness as a father. You know, I want to be awful careful that we never become older brothers. We become good older brothers that say, hey, when somebody comes back to God, let's be one of the first people who turn on the barbecue grill and get it popping. We're some of the first people who grab others around us and get the robe out, get the ring out, get the shoes out and say, hey, we're glad you're back. We're glad you're here. This is where you belong. Instead of being the older brother who sits aside and say, I've been in church my whole life and nobody ever acted like that to me. God never blessed me like that and I know that person. They've been living crazy and they just been getting blessed left and right the past couple weeks. Okay, older brother, go ahead. When you've been in the house the whole time, you could have been eating filet mignon every night partying with your father. You know, as we close tonight, let me get every head bowed, every eye closed.